0: that information. So we are uh, starting a new series, and we are looking, uh, we're, we're going to just look at the Christmas story. Uh, and, and as I was thinking about how we were going to introduce this Christmas story and, and what we were going to do, most of the time, when you think of the Christmas story, immediately you go to the book of Matthew. Immediately you go to the book of Luke and and that's where you dive in. But when I was thinking about the things that kind of upset me um, uh, about the Christmas series and and just this world in general, now there's a lot because it's 2020 and we know that. Um, But one of the things that really gets to me is when you go to the store to buy something like bacon. Exactly. We love bacon, right? But if you noticed, over the last couple of years, you used to be able to buy it by the pound, right? Now you buy it by the 12 ounces. But it's the same cost, if not more, right? Now, how did they do that? Well, it's the same, t- the same height of the package. They just kind of cut off a little bit of the ends. So that kind of gets under my skin just a little bit. Peanut butter. Now, there's only one brand of peanut butter that you're allowed to buy. Now, there's certain things that you can skimp on in the world today there's three things in my mind that you don't skimp on. Number one, toilet paper. You don't skimp on toilet paper. Number two, get that one. Um, Wow, man, you guys are not awake yet. Um, So number two is hot dogs. You cannot skimp on your hot dogs. You have to have either Nathan's or ballpark hot dogs, okay? You, you don't just go the cheap route on the hot dogs. I know it's already just all of the leftover parts anyways, but still. And, and number three is peanut butter, okay? My wife went to the store and she picked up this big old tub of peanut butter and I tried to eat it. And I think it was like Aldi brand or something. And I was like, hey, we got something for the dogs as they, you know, get their snacks at night and all that kind of stuff. Because you just don't skimp on your peanut butter. But what they found out was it's the same size container. But they put a dimple in the bottom of it. So you're still getting less peanut butter. And so, and they did the same thing with ice cream. You know, everything has just shrunk in size. Now here's the thing. If it says these words on it, same taste, new look. It means that you're getting skimped on what you're getting. All right. That that's all that means. Okay, healthier. No, it's not. They're just serving sizes smaller. That's it. It's not any better for you than it was before. You're just not getting as much. And, and it's all about trying to, to downsize all of these different things. Cereal boxes. They did that with with that. I, I could go on and on about all of the different things that that they have. But I think they've done the same thing. Our our culture has done the same thing with Christmas we've downsized, and we've tried to just crump it in to a certain amount of time. And and, and now for me, I'll I'll tell you, I'm one of those people, and my daughter is the same way, we don't watch Christmas shows, we don't turn on the Hallmark Channel, we don't watch, I don't anyways, but we we, we don't decorate the house until after Thanksgiving. Now the moment that we finish the turkey, then it's time to start putting Christmas music on. But you don't start that in October. So that's one of the things that, that I'm like, no, let's, let's, let's make sure that we remember to be thankful first. But there's so much in our culture that it's just downsized Christmas. And when I was thinking about all of those things, as Christians, we tend and can do the same thing. Because immediately, when we go to the Christmas story, well, we want to talk about Mary and we want to talk about Gabriel and we want to talk about Joseph and and Simeon and and John the Baptist being born first and, and then the baby Jesus. And we kind of just stop with the baby in the manger. But I want us to look at the whole story. So, what we're going to do over the course of the next several weeks, leading all the way to January the 3rd, is we're going to look from creation to consummation, from the very beginning until heaven. And we're going to break all of those things down. And the best way to understand the Bible is not just to look at small sections of it, but to look at it as 66 books of the Bible and how they're interwoven and it's one storyline. From beginning to end, it's one big storyline. One of the most helpful resources for children is the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is the way that it begins. The Bible isn't mainly about you and what you're doing, it's about God and what He has done. The Bible is most of all a story. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story the story of how God loves His children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell His story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. Pastor Tim Keller says this. He says, many people think of the Bible as a book of moral teachings with stories sprinkled through to illustrate the teachings. But it's a lot better than that. The Bible is a single story with teachings sprinkled through to illustrate the story. So what I want us to do, we're going to go back to the book of Genesis. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1, and then we're going to jump forward, and we're going to be in John chapter 1 in a little bit. But in Genesis chapter 1, we don't read once upon a time. What we read there is, in the beginning, God. You see, it's much more than just a nice ni- novel. The Bible is inspired and errant. It's a narrative and, and non-narrative material like prayer, poetry, prophecy, parables, songs, laws, commands and ethical codes of conduct. and it's all wrapped in to one, but it's all telling one story from beginning to end. You see, history is really about his story. It's where we're headed. The Bible tells of the unfolding story of redemption set against the backdrop of creation. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Let's read verses uh, 1 through 5. And I'm going to put the, the Hebrew name for God in here. So when we read God, it's actually the Hebrew word Elohim. That's God. So in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the faces of the waters. And Elohim said, let there be light. And there was light. And Elohim saw that the light was good. And Elohim separated the light from the darkness. Elohim called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, when we read that and we hear that word Elohim, the name, the Hebrew name for God, um, when when we read that, it's used 2,500 times in the Bible total, 32 times just in the first chapter of Genesis. Now, Elohim is derived from the word El, and, and that means strong. Specifically, this name means that he is the strong creator God. He is creatively powerful, completely sovereign, and gloriously great. That's what we see here. And and there's three foundational points that I want us to break down as we look at Genesis chapter 1. The first one is Elohim. God is eternal. We read that. In the beginning, God. Just stop right there. In the beginning, God. You see, this is a declaration that God has always been He had no beginning. He will have no end. And this is stated strongly in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Now, did you notice that Genesis 1-1 is a simple declaration that God exists? Elohim exists. It doesn't provide an explanation of where he came from. It doesn't provide us... Everything that we need, an argument for his existence, it just assumes that he is. Number two, creationism is correct. Genesis 1, 1b says, when we read there, created the heavens and the earth. Because God alone is eternal, that which is created is not. Look at the last part again of of, of verse 1. It says, created the heavens and the earth. Now, this word for create means to create out of nothing. The, the uh, Latin phrase is ex nihilo, created out of nothing. He spoke and it was created. We read this in Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood Firm. You see, it is no accident that the first thing that God wanted us to know about himself is that he is the creator, in the beginning, God. He is our creator. We go to Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. We read there, Worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you, receive, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. You see, the early church viewed the doctrine of creation as the beginning point of all theology. It's a bedrock of our biblical belief. Number three, the Lord made light. Look at Genesis 1, 3 through 5. We hear the first word that God speaks. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God uh, separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Six times. Six times in chapter 1, God declares that it is good. In 131, we read, and God saw everything that he had created, everything that he had made, and behold, it was Very good. Now, he doesn't say that until after he created us. Just remember that. So he created all these other things, and he goes, yeah, it was good. But then he created man, and he says it is very good, well-pleasing, morally correct, perfect and proper, with no defect. You see, creation is in right relation with the creator. Everything is good. Verse 26 tells us that man was made in God's image. And in chapter 2, verse 18, God declares that it was not good for man to be alone. So he created woman for Adam. They enjoy the pleasure of paradise. They live in harmony with one another and with God, with each other, creation itself. And then we enter into chapter (laughs) 3. This is where the wheels fall off, they say. The serpent tempts eve and she begins to doubt god's goodness she's trying to figure out how everything works she fixates on what is forbidden we go to verse 6 in chapter 3 and we read there so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was good to be desired to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then we jump to to verse 7, and it describes the shame that immediately followed. The very moment that they ate, their eyes were opened, and we read this in verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. All of a sudden, they became self-conscious of their surroundings exposed and their conscience was now activated they had to cover their sin and their shame you see they used to enjoy the fellowship and friendship with with god but now all of that is going to change god would come and walk with them in the coolness of the evening and and that's exactly what he does again in this case He comes to walk with them like he always does. And and we find this in in verse 9. They're guilty. They're shameful. They see everything that they have done, and they're hiding from God. And we come to verse 9, and this is interesting. We talk about this every time that I go back to Genesis chapter 3. Because God, again, we never do anything that catches God off guard. It wasn't like he went, oh, I didn't see that one coming. I can't believe that Adam did that. Oh, wow, I can't. No, nothing catches God off guard. And we need to make sure that we always remember that. So when in verse 9 he says, where are you? It wasn't like they were playing hide and seek. God wanted Adam and Eve to realize where they were at. They were the ones that were hiding from God. And don't miss what happens in Genesis 3.21 and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed him. See, only God can, pro- can provide the covering that we need. Notice the emphasis that God is the one that initiated what happens here. And you've probably been like, okay, Travis, um, all the decorations, it's Christmas. Where does Christmas have anything to do with Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3? Well, here we are. Because as we come to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we find out what it's all about. It's about God covering us, coming into a right relationship with sinners. Because these coverings were made of skin we know that an animal had to be sacrificed in order for it to take place again as if their shame wasn't already enough now they have to watch an innocent be killed for them to be able to be clothed with the 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 loincloths so again sacrifice has to be made for the first time in history suffering sacrifice and innocent blood is shed so that human sin might be covered and community with god can then still be had This is a foretaste of the substitutionary atonement that Jesus is going to make. God is setting the stage for Passover. God is setting the stage that sinners will be covered. That he will send his son to be the ultimate sacrifice. You see, Christmas is all about how Christ covers our curse. We love to picture the, the nativity scene and we have you know all of the wise men that are there and we have the shepherds that have come and we have all of the animals that are in there and, and all of that. We, we love that picture. And most of it, importantly, we love looking inside of the manger and seeing a baby because babies are innocent and they're cute and they're quiet. <laughs> Never mind. Um, we love looking at babies and all. Oh, And we love picturing Jesus as as the baby. But what we have to remember is that Jesus grew up. And Jesus became our substitute. Jesus took our place. He didn't stay a baby. He didn't stay in the manger. Jesus grew up. So, let's go now to John chapter 1. Again, not a scripture that we usually look at when it comes to the Christmas season, but in John chapter 1, we get um, the redemptive narrative. I want you to check out these verses that correspond with the account of creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything uh, made that was, was made, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, Travis, how how does that how does that apply? I don't get it. Well, again, go back to Genesis chapter 1, and what we find here is the word is referring to Jesus. And what we find is the infant is infinite. The infant is infinite. Jesus has always existed according to verses 1 and 2. In the beginning in, oh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is before the beginning. We go to John chapter 8 verse 58 and Jesus said, "Before Abraham was born, I am." You see Jesus is eternal. He is infinite. Because he has always existed. And again, this goes back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. Now, the word is the Greek for logos. And it simply means that he is the beginning. He is the second member of the Trinity. He's the bridge between God, the Father, and us, the sinner. The word was with God indicates that Jesus has always existed He's always had a face to face relationship with God the Father. God did not create the Son, they have always existed. Together. And again, I don't have time to try to explain the Trinity. Um, I, I've tried to do that and, and work that out, and there's so, so many intricate parts of how the Trinity works. Well, there are three, but they're one, and they're one, and three, and, and there's all kinds of different illustrations that you can use. Well, you've, you've got water. A quick illustration is water, and it can take on different forms, but it's always H2O, whether it's frozen, whether it's liquid, or whether it's gas. It's still. H2O. What? And it can be all three at once. Huh? I, I don't understand it either, but suffice it to say that they're all three the same. You see, Jesus is not a creation of God, but he is God himself. He was with God in the beginning. The infinite, the infant is infinite. Number two, Christ is the creator. Christ is is the creator we see this in, in verse 3 that christ is also the creator all things were made through him and without him was nothing what well, was not anything made that was made you see this verse brings us back to genesis chapter 1 1 and then again to colossians chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 paul makes it very clear for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in all things holds together. You see, Jesus is both the creator and the sustainer of all things. Hey, here's one more verse that, that may help you. You go to Genesis or Hebrews chapter one, verses one through two. In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now when we break all of this down, when when we look at at all of this, there's a lot that we go, if God's created all things, and Jesus has been there beside him, Every step of the way. Why are we in the position that we're in in this world? If he knew how bad 2020 was going to be, why didn't he just stop it? If God is infinite, if he is all-loving, if he is all-powerful, he could have just shut this virus down, right? I mean, he is everything. He is the creator. Jesus, God, they're all part in all of this. And why did they allow this to happen? I I don't understand it. And if you're asking those questions, I I want you to know that I'm right there with you. This past week uh, on Friday morning, we found out that Teresa's sister-in-law, her brother's wife, passed away. She had battled for the last 15 years with pancreatitis. About eight years ago, they tried something very revolutionary with her, and they gave her a bunch of hormones and other things to help her system, and they said this is going to help your life, but it's also going to bring other issues into your life, we're going to remove your pancreas to try to extend your life the best that we possibly can. And so, for the last eight years, she has actually lived without a pancreas. Something that is very, again, revolutionary, and it doesn't happen that often. Um, she was constantly in and out of the hospital, but she's a fighter, and, and she constantly fought, and and she uh, had a feeding tube that was put in, but it became part of her accessory. Um, and, and so it was always a part of who she was, um, and she fought, and she fought. And uh, their their youngest child is uh, 16 years old. He's a sophomore this year, and and uh, all of Jake's friends came over to the house and it was always over the house. And she said, "I'm fighting to see all of them graduate," and she fought, and she came up short. And on Thursday night, um, Friday morning at about 12.30, she stood up, and when she stood up, she fainted and couldn't be revived. And they believe it was a brain aneurysm. They're not really for sure. Uh, But with all of the different medications she was on, I I talked to Jeff, and he said, uh, it's amazing that it hadn't happened sooner. You, God, if you're so good, you're the creator, you're the sustainer, why? 47 years old, why? Why are you allowing this virus to take a hold? Why are you allowing this country to be torn apart? Why are you allowing Christians in, in, in all of these other countries to be persecuted in the ways in which they're persecuted, being set on fire and and being tortured and, and drowned because they stand up for you. God, why? I just don't understand it. And the best answer that I can give you is that he allowed sin to take place because he didn't want a bunch of robots. He could have stepped in at any moment and said, stop, I'm going to start over. Do you know he actually said that at one point? We read that in the Old Testament. He actually wanted to just wipe us all out. I wish I would have never created mankind. Wow. Yet, he continued, because while that thought was like, oh, why did I do this? Here was the thing, all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, God had a plan. He's always had a plan. He is the creator, and he brought about the whole reason for the Christmas story, the reason that we're going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 through 3, is to understand that the whole Christmas story starts at creation. And that he had a plan. There was a reason for that baby. There's a reason that we celebrate. The, why that we, the, the reason that we celebrate is because Jesus grows up and he becomes our substitute. He goes to the cross for us. You know, I might give up my son for somebody that I really, really loved. I don't know, he's sitting there and he's like, Dad, really? Really? Maybe. But somebody that I didn't know, somebody that had hurt me, you want me to give up my son, who I love and I cherish, you want me to to let him die for someone who's hurt me the way they've hurt me? No, no, no. Sorry, not gonna do it. Yet that's exactly what Jesus did for us. And that brings us to our final point here. We've had the infinite is infinite. Christ is the creator. And then lastly, the Lord is the life and light. Look at verses four and five. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, the story of the Bible begins with physical darkness in Genesis chapter 1. To dispel that darkness, God said, let there be light. But when we come to to John chapter 1, and we read in verses 4 and 5, Jesus dispels the whole darkness, and he brings about the light that is the life of men. Spiritual darkness spilled into our world. Genesis chapter 3. But Jesus shines into that very darkness and those who have not yet received him are still in the darkness and cannot understand him. Many people today really don't comprehend the real meaning of Christmas. It's because the world in general has no place for Christ. We have to make sure that we always keep room for Jesus. So much more I want to say on this, but... For the sake of time, I'm, I'm going to bring up two quick points that have wowed me this week and helped me to recapture the wonder, the majesty of Christmas. I hope they do for you as well. Number one, the gospel is good news. When you read it in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's the, that's the gospels that's the, the story of Jesus. And, and that word gospel, we go, gospel, ah, church word. Good news. That's what it means. It simply means good news. And that's exactly what the angel said to the shepherds. We go to Luke chapter 2, verse 10 Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That good news was brought into the world. The good news is that Jesus is here. He has come. That's the good news. And number two, birth is both the the cause and the cure for our sin. We need to be born again in order to be brought back into a garden relationship with the Father if we want to be able to walk in the coolness of day with him, if we want that opportunity of heaven, then we have to be in a right relationship with him. And it means to be born again, to become a new creation. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You see, the story of Scripture is about the glory of the Savior. If you have not received Christ, you have entered into, uh, if you have received, you've entered into the greatest story of all time. If you haven't received him, today can be that opportunity. As we think about this Christmas season, as we think about leading up to December the 25th, let's not wait until the 24th. Let's not wait till the 25th to open our hearts up to Jesus. Let's do it now. We're going to take communion. If you haven't had a chance to get your emblems, they're on the back two tables. Um, You can send one of your family members to, to go get those. And I want us to focus on the cradle. But I want us to remember that the cradle leads to the cross. First Corinthians chapter eleven verses twenty three through twenty six, Paul says these words: For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat and drink this or eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, here's what I want you to know Jesus has come. Jesus came. He broke into our story. On that Christmas morning it's not a fable because he is in the stable and then he died on the cross he arose on the third day ascended into heaven and he is coming again that's what I want us to focus on here this morning I want you to think of it this way I want you to go back to the beginning of what I said you have an opportunity to keep your container the original size. Don't shrink it. Share it. Share it with those that you come in contact with. As you take this communion this morning, remember His sacrifice. Remember that you are a part of His story. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we thank you so much that we can come and worship you here today. We thank you that you are our creator. We thank you that you have created all things. Father, we can't even begin to comprehend or understand why you have done the things that you have done. Lord, I'm so thankful that I'm not the one in charge because I'd screw it up every single time. But Lord, you had a perfect plan. And while we don't always understand it, we must trust it. That you will be with us every step of the way. And Father, as we partake of communion, we just ask that you help us to remember that we can lay all of our burdens before your throne. And Father, if there is someone here who needs prayer, if they need someone to talk with, Father, that they can find myself or Jared or one of the elders that will be in the back. They can email us, call us, FaceTime us, Facebook us. They will reach out to get connected. We pray all of this in your son's most holy and precious name.